everyone. Welcome to a game-changing edition of ARG Presents. I'm your good pal, your good buddy, Amigo Aaron, joined by a man who picked a game this week that's so bad, he's trying to pretend to be sick just to get out of covering it. I give you the Brent. It, it, it might have been the best game Amiga ever put out. Oh, man. The controversial. Controversial. <laughs> we'll get into that. So, the Brent, uh, for those that didn't join us last week, we did, in fact, spin that Screw wheel. Screw them. No, no, we love them. Because they're <laughs> oh, back. okay. Uh, we, listen, you know, so to the listeners, we love those guys. Last week, we spun the wheel. We made the deal. <laughs> and what a deal. What a crazy deal this one was, Brent, as we selected BAM games that became other games other games this topic blew my mind it physically blew my brains out what the heck's going on with this that's what happened to the hair well listen it's not like i covered this topic 40 (laughs) years ago no you're like two plus two is four ah i'm gonna have to treat the brent as a hostile witness once again this week i can see he's on fire what do you think of this topic, the Brent games that became other games? There's a lot of ways to go with this, and and I think we I think we chose games that are going to be very interesting to talk about in their own right. Uh, I mean, you could there are are sequels that were radically different from the from their originals. Uh, Super Mario Brothers to Super Mario Brothers Two in America, for example. Uh, and, and that would have been a fine, fine way to take this topic. Uh, but I much prefer the the route we went, and I, I think it will make for an interesting topic for those who are are uneducated, uh, ignorant, if you will, in the in the selections we chose. You're you're killing our listeners, Brent, with your horrible version. No, there's <laughs> hey hey here, real quick. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant. Ignorant is just the lack of knowledge. Uh-huh. Yeah, keep digging yourself out of there. You know, I looked at this topic, uh, and you sort of touched on this, from from being one of two possibilities, okay? Yeah. Top, possibility one, there was a game that got started, and then somewhere along the production run, they were like, you know, we're gonna, they changed it radically. And when I looked for people that talked about this subject, uh, there were a few games that kept coming up in this category, and one of them, for example, was Donkey Kong. I saw people yeah. like because Donkey Kong originally was going to be a Popeye license, and they and they didn't get the Popeye license, and so they changed it to something else. So you got that, and that act super. I mean, that shaped Nintendo, yeah, in a tremendous is. way. And ironically, they were also ended up releasing a great Popeye game, so it worked yeah. out great all around. Uh, I, the other way you could look at this topic are games, a series that where a game came out and then the next game came out and it was radically different than what it had fought, you know, what came before it. Right. Uh, and we could look at something, let's say a good example, we'll stick with Donkey Kong, would be Donkey Kong Jr. to Donkey Kong 3. Totally yeah. different game uh, with with the shooting and all that crazy stuff. Not a better game, but a definitely different game. Yeah, different. Can you think of some other uh, examples in the genre of the Brent? Well, the one I already gave. Yep. Uh, but there's, there's a, a, that's something you have to research and explore. I can't think of many off the top of my head, to be completely honest. Yeah, and that's the, one of the issues I had this week. Let me tell you, this last month of, of uh, picks on the wheel has not been easy. You had to really research. use the old... You had to use the old noodle-oodle here 
to find out what you were going to do. Yeah, you definitely. This was definitely a research heavy <laughs> month. Which you got is that cool. right. I, I don't mind that. I don't yeah. mind it at all. And so we're let's just. There's not much to say. It's an easy topic to explain. It's hard to choose. Let's just jump right into it, to Brent. And I will lead the dance this time around. Now, the game I picked may startle, amaze, and even stun some people. But there's a, a, an interesting story behind it. It is, bam, Time Pilot. Do, 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 do. Everyone's favorite game. That's it. We're going to copyright a, strike now. Time, you think that's enough? <laughs> it was it. an incredible facsimile with a little jingle that plays a Time Pilot. But we're going to look at Time Pilot, everyone's favorite time-traveling fighter plane. Uh, this game developed by Konami uh, way back in 82 uh, is when this was released in Japan. It came out a couple a year later in, in the rest of the world. And then uh, all of its home conversions came out. This thing didn't get a ton of conversions to Brent. I'll be honest with you, I was kind of surprised. Uh, it only got uh, official conversions to the 2600 the MSX, and the ColecoVision. I should mention that here recently, a home version of this called Vector Pilot has came out for the Vectrix. That's supposed to be quite nice. Just a quick plug on that. Um, now, when you look at Time Pilot, you don't think to yourself, what is this? You know, it just seems like a pretty straightforward game. But in actuality, the history of this game is quite interesting, uh, the Brent. So... And I'm going to get into that before we get into the game proper, because I think it's quite neat. So, the game was programmed by a fellow named uh, Yukishi Akimoto, okay? So, Akimoto was a fellow that started at Konami in early 82, and he was a graphic artist. He worked on uh, flyers and uh, handouts, stuff like that, graphical stuff that you would need when you're plugging your video games, right? Simple stuff. Sure. So... He wanted to get into programming, so his boss said, "Listen, I've got a game that we need you to, that you can do to start off." Remember his very first game, okay? He says, "The game you're going to do is a driving game, and you're going to you're going to play you're going to program a driving game where you drive down these crazy roads and you get your driver's license." Okay, simple, right? Well, uh, Akimoto wasn't keen on that game. He wasn't interested in that game. He said, listen, because I got a better idea. He goes, because he was a big fan of science fiction and time travel movies. He said, listen, what about a plane that flies and fights other historical aircraft in a time traveling shooting game? His boss was like, get that out of here. And the boss was not down. He was so not down that when he said, listen, it's it's driving license game. Get on it. And then every day he would check the dude's work. <laughs> okay. So Akimoto knew that this driving game was going to be garbage. Okay. And, and, you know, it's we've seen games that have came out where you get your license. But as that being the main part of the game, it is not sounding that appealing. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So Akimoto said, okay, here's what we're going to do. He started working from 5 a.m. in the morning, and he would come home at like he would he would quit working at like 1 a.m. or midnight. Real, he would work like a million hours of shifts. Sometimes he would sleep at his desk, and what he was doing was essentially programming two games. During the day, he would pro, he would pretend to work on the driving license game, 
And then when it was time to send code to the programmers to work on, he would say, listen, ignore all that. Here's the game we're really working on. And so he had to have the other game sitting around. So when his boss came by to check it, he could look at it and see there was progress being made in the driver's license game. Now, I read an interview with Akimoto himself who said that uh, basically the, the two games were sort of the same. You know, in a lot, in some ways, (laughs) that's what makes it interesting. So eventually he did this and did this until the game finally was completed. Okay. So he, uh, he turned in his game. The boss is like, okay, let's see the driver's license game. He's like, didn't do it. He's like, here's the game I did time pilot. So his boss apparently had a conniption fit as one would expect, but Konami went ahead and released the game. And lo and behold, the Brent, Time Pilot was a massive, massive success uh, for for Konami. Um, To show you how big a success, uh, Time Pilot was listed in Game Machine Magazine as the fifth highest grossing video game of 82. Think about that, because 82 was like a a big year. year. Yeah. It listed Time Pilot in uh, 83 as being the 18th most popular game of the month, and this was in late 83. So this is after it had already been the big deal in 82. So this game did great, okay, in Japan and in the U.S. In the U.S. in 83, it topped the uh, arcade earnings chart in February of 83. So, and uh, the Arcade and Music Operators Association listed it among the 13th highest earning arcade games ever of, of 1983. So uh, that's not bad. Now, Huge game. Huge game. <clears throat> so what happened? Well, this may surprise and shock you, but his boss was like, you know something, uh, Akimoto, you, you did the right thing. You know, we're, I'm not mad at you. Good job. So Akimoto felt pretty good about it, and they started giving him a little more freedom. Well, then... And this is, again, this is directly from the horse's mouth. In an interview with Akimoto, he says he's in the office one day, and he's walking by, and he hears his boss talking to the, the boss's boss. And he's telling the boss's boss, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I told Akimoto to do this game, Time Pilot. He's like, I even helped him program it. <laughs> it's what he heard him say. And so Akimoto had to keep murdering this man because this is corporate Japan. It wouldn't go over well. Yeah. So... He the next game he did is a game you may have heard of. It's a little game I like to call Gyrus. Oh, by the way, awesome! Another awesome game. Gyrus didn't do as well because by the time Gyrus came out, the video game crash had sort of hit the, the arcade crash, but it still sure. did great. It was still one of Konami's top hits that year. So Akimoto was like, "Listen, how about a little raise for your boy? You know, because I'm making I'm making all this money," and they were like. We'll give you a teeny raise, but we're not giving you the raise you asked for. And he's like, come on, I want the big raise. And they're like, well, we'll think about it. He came back to work. They fired him. All right, so Akimoto fired. Now, you would think this would be detrimental to your career, but in actuality, it didn't hurt him at all. No, no, not when (laughs) you're the man. Yeah, because he just rolled over and got a job at at Capcom. Listen to this uh, game design uh, who's who here. Amongst other things, he did Gunsmoke, Final Fight, uh, UN Squadron, Willow, Forgotten Worlds, Three Wonders, Buster Bros, and Street Fighter Two. So he did pretty good for himself and left Konami looking like a bunch of geeks. And that's yeah. what they were. That was a dumb move by Konami. But if you think about it, every time you played a time pilot, effectively, you're playing something that it, in some part was at least based on some game 
where you get your driver's license. So there you go. That's the backstory behind Time Pilot. Now, uh, something to throw in here, Aaron. Something to think yeah. about. For him to have done that. Now, this is this is doing this in, in somewhere like America, where we have a, a lot more uh, uh, understanding of the culture. Yeah, doing something like this in America w- would probably end up with you on top. You you being able to say, "Listen, <clears throat> my boss uh, tried to make me do this stupid thing, right?" And I refused because I know I know where the money's at. And now I just made you guys a ton of money. Yeah. And in America, I mean, unless you are working for like a mega overlord, you're gonna get some. You're gonna get some props. Yeah. I, I truly believe that. Even especially in uh, uh, this era of video games uh, in this time period in Japan, I am seriously surprised. That even though the game did colossally well, I'm surprised they didn't fire him on the spot. Because well, to to overstep your bounds like that uh, in, in Japanese culture, to my understanding, uh, is mega disrespectful. And and uh, uh, I'm sure the only reason why he didn't get a harsher reprimand was because he said, listen, <coughs> the boss was like, I'm going to take some credit for this, and it's going to make me look good. And I can completely see that happening in America, too, by the way. But I, I'm I'm shocked, shocked that he wasn't browbeaten and, and kicked out of the company. Well, it, I will say this. And I understand where you're coming from. But when he showed the game, and we've all, if you haven't played Time Pot, we're going to get into it. They were like, wait a minute, this looks awesome. We're gonna yeah. make a lot of money, and that does go a long way. The bottom line, brother, it that's does. Where the money is. So let's take a quick look at what you know. What in God's name is Time Pilot? Uh, it's a simple game, really. Uh, you are the Time Pilot. Your goal is to navigate your aircraft through t- several different pe- time periods, fighting the bad guys in those time periods. Um, the uh, the uh, different rounds feature different enemy types because guess what? You're going through time. In the first round, you fight you fought World War One aircrafts, and during like what they call the 1910 period, you're also uh, eventually you'll fight a blimp or a dirigible that you have to take out as the end boss. You're also tasked with having to rescue parachuting, uh, you know, airmen that have apparently jumped out of airplanes, many airplanes. Uh, and you do that in all but one of the uh, different uh, eras. Uh, when you get to the uh, uh, next time period, you're at World War II. Uh, in World War II, you're fighting World War II-level air- air- aircraft. It's the exact same shtick. And then you'll also be tasked with taking out a like a bomber at the end of that particular uh, uh, round. Uh, then, you're, then you go and get into the helicopter era, okay? Uh, helicopters are are they're tough. They're the way they move around. It's a lot different. And again, you're shooting going for the uh, for the uh, parachuting ba- good guys, and eventually you'll take on the double prop. What do they call those double prop? Like a cargo uh, uh, helicopter, the brand. big helicopter. Then you come to somewhere like the 1980s, I guess, where you're fighting uh, jets. So effectively, you're fighting other people that are in very similar uh, outfits to what you're driving. Yeah, and they and you also got to attend with uh with their fire, uh, and then lastly you will go into uh what they call two thousand one, 
looks like we didn't make it uh, to this, but there, you're finding UFOs in a real crazy, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, trip this, uh, where you're fighting these guys. It's uh, it's basically more of the same. But they change the enemies and they also vary their attacks uh, as you go through. And once you do this, you loop the game and then you start over. Now, I know you've played this one before, Brett. What just to, before we get real deep into what you think of the old time pilot, the concept and the and the execution. Time Pilots is one of the greatest shooters of all time. Uh, it is first of all, it was it was very unique that your ship was in the middle of the screen, and the the screen basically moves around, and you always stay in the center. It's a real interesting concept, isn't it? The way you it, do it, yes, it gives you so much real estate to see around you because your ship is is. I mean, it's not big, but it's not small either. And it allows attacks from all directions. So that is, first of all, just conceptually, that is a brilliant move. Uh, it doesn't limit how many bullets you can have on the screen at one time. Well, I'm sure it does, but it, it's it's as fast as you can hit the button firing, which keeps the action incredibly fast and incredibly uh, intense. Yeah. Having... So, just from that perspective alone, right, they could have had one level of the game, and it would have been a hit. Yeah. Because it was just playing... And it, and and, it would have been a game of its era, too, to do yes. that. Had, it just being able to, to play in this perspective, it would have been amazing. Then they went one step further, and they said, we're going to have different backgrounds depending on where, what time era you're in. So it kicks up that um, that the visual aspects. I mean, the the planes change, the backgrounds change, everything changes as you go through these levels. Yeah. So it really does feel like you're progressing. That's the second thing for it. Uh, uh, real quick, I want to throw in here the sound. The sound on this is great. Yeah. The little tune is memorable. Your shot noises are 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 not like artillery fire it's more sci-fi blue 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 and, and they sound spews. like the bullets they when they hit they sound like they actually have impact which is cool. yes yeah, yes which, and, that's, and, that's something that can't be understood that's always neat and, and everything you shoot explodes and it has little you know that sort of noise so from a sound directive spot on spot yeah. on <clears throat> and then they go that one extra step and throw in the the most memorable part for me in the entire Time Pilots game, which is mini bosses yeah. and bosses. Yeah, having these ships because everything you shoot up to the when you first start the game is one shot and it's dead, and then you start landing shots on these larger vehicles, and they you you see them kind of burst flame holes in different locations until you eventually shoot them enough that they explode. Then you go to the next level. So every every level of time pilots is is like a little mission. You're going after this big boss thing, and when you complete it, you warp out, and it has a neat little effect. We should mention, by the way, uh, since I didn't mention that, to advance to the to the final to the final boss of each level, you have to kill a predetermined amount of, of correct of enemies. So which at the bottom of the screen is a me the meter that will go down as you shoot the enemies. I believe it's like it was like fifty three. Or something like that per level. There's an actual number, but there's a meter at the bottom that you that you keep track of. So uh, that's what make another unique aspect of this game. It's not just going around killing 
uh, forever until you die or whatever. I mean, you you have a set number. You go kill them, yes. and then that's when you know the boss will appear, and the boss will just show up, and 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 you don't even have to go after the boss immediately, but he'll be there. You know, it, you know, it's which that's an interesting aspect of the game. Correct, correct. So when you bundle all these things together, you have a high score miracle game. Yeah, that is so far beyond anything else. That was in the arcades at this time in shooter, you know, as a shooter, uh, that it becomes this was an instant classic. Yeah. I remember playing this in the arcade. I did play this in the arcade. I mean, it was everywhere. It wasn't hard to find. No, uh, no. E- even in even in our little crappy deck of the woods. Uh so you have this instant classic. And then, like you said, it really didn't get a whole lot of home translations. And I'm guessing that's because maybe the home systems at the time couldn't handle it. I don't know. The ColecoVision did a decent job. So I think. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. It is surprising that this didn't get a lot of ports like the 8 bits or the, you know, I I don't know I'm what it was because it, it was a hit here. I mean, it was a big I, hit. I'm guessing, and I could be, I could be completely wrong, right? But I'm guessing the amount of sprites that would be required to be on the screen at the same time uh, with. Not only your fire, but the enemy's enemy ships and the enemy uh, uh, bullets might have been too intense for some home consoles, and they thought watering it down that much wouldn't translate well. I don't, I don't know. know, man. It's, it's I think maybe it was a licensing thing. Maybe Coleco got a, some kind of exclusive deal on it or something. Maybe they were going to distribute it, and ultimately they didn't get a chance because they ran. There's no telling. Yeah, but whatever it was. It definitely deserved more action. Now, uh, what there's before I close up shop here, I want to talk about because I've had people that say like, "Well, you just loop this thing, and it's it, it got five levels." Brent mentioned it, and this is key. This game is a great game to play high score attack on. I know me, the Brent, and the Chud a few years ago really went to war on this game. And one thing that a lot of the pros will do is the first and specifically the second levels is just not in the level. And that's yeah. one of the things about this game is that when you play the levels, even when the boss comes out, you just don't fight him. And or you another thing you just do is just not shoot the bad guys. And all you do is go around collecting the parachutes. Yeah. That cuz the parachutes are worth I lose like 5000 points the bread every time you get one and they come down forever basically. And so a strategy is just to go around and collect the parachutes without killing guys. Something else in the game is when you the bad guys come out in squadrons on most of the levels, and when they come out like that, if you shoot the whole squad, you also get bonus points. So they've put a lot of interesting point ideas in the game, too. It's not just pretty. It's not just fun. They actually put some thought into scoring in this game, yes. and that makes it a lot of fun. And I've seen people hang out on that second level forever, doing nothing but collecting his parachutes, just racking up the score. Yep. You know, and when you when you accidentally finish the level and you roll through, you'll stay there again and do the same thing. That's part of it. Yeah, and it's it's the controls in this are so well refined. Yeah. I mean, there's never a time when you don't I mean, there there's plenty of times when you get shot, right? You couldn't move out of the way fast enough something like that. But there's never a time when you're like, "Man, I meant to go left and I went right instead." Yeah. Because yeah. the controls are so simple. I mean, it's it's you're always moving forward. There is no stop. So it's you either turn to the left, turn to the right, a, or uh, and shoot. That's pretty much it. I mean, yeah. you can go straight up, straight down, straight left, straight right, 
but you can't stop. So, amazing game. Quite a joy to go and revisit. If, by some, like, whacked out reason, you have never played this game, dear listeners and watchers, quit watching right now. Load up. no, no. No, do show. it. After the show. Okay, fine. After the show. I guess you have to learn about Bandersnatch someday. Oh, oh man. So, but you, you've you got to go and play this. Yeah, this one's great. You've, you've got to fire it up. Uh, uh, on, there's plenty of compilations now that have this. Fire it up on the arcade emulator. You have to play this game. It is such a joy. Yeah. It I, really I, is. I'm right there with you. You know, believe it or not, I'll, uh, just for fun, I thought I'd look up some reviews. Listen, I found a review that mentioned something that I had read other places. Uh, in 1998, an outfit called the All Games Guide gave this an 80%. And they say, nice graphics with plenty of nuance and solid sound effects that complement the exciting gameplay. The controls take some getting used to, but the swarming enemies in conjunction with the rotating rapid-fire ship produce, produce a time-travel trip worth taking. Here's the important part. Designer... Uh, Yokishi Akimoto loosely patterned Time Pilot after Bosconian, one of his favorite games. Yep. I had read that. Now, I've played Bosconian. Uh, it, I like this a lot more than Bosconian, but Bosconian's a fun game, too, if I'm honest. And they're not similar, really. No, I, I mean, they are, but they're not. Uh, right. Bosconian is, is sort of like this if you were running around and attacking bases yeah. instead of being attacked by if, planes. If you've played on the Coco, there's a game called Draconian, which is a ripoff of Bosconian. It's the same thing. Great game. Now, I can't finish this up without mentioning Time Pilot 84, the sequel to this game. The less said about it, the better. I thought it sucked. Brent? Uh, I mean, they tried to recapture lightning in a bottle, and it didn't. It, it wasn't at the right time anymore. No. and This came you, out at the right time. I'll tell you something else. The, the Time Pilot sequel reminded me a lot of the Blue Max sequel, right? They had this great game, and they're like, hey, let's get away from it. No. Big mistake. It should have been this jet with other different futures and pasts. That would have been cooler. You know, including fighting like pterodactyls and stuff. I would have been down with that, but they didn't do it. Anyways, there you go. That's a little look at Time Pilot. Oh, I want to mention two other things. For starters, I looked this up on the eBay. Uh, if you were interested in picking up one of these bad boys. Uh, the PCB right now is selling for 400 bucks or best offer, but they're going Ooh. for about, yeah. They're they're selling all day long between uh, around the upper two hundreds. A fully working game. I saw a guy selling them. He wanted thirty five hundred bucks. Wow! Which in the old days, five hundred bucks would have would have be considered what I would expect uh, upper end for this. Uh, I have seen these sell in non working order for as low as four hundred dollar dues. Brent, I did get some. We did get some hot, hot, incredibly hot Discord action. Uh, on the old time pilot here, if I could, if I could dig it up. Yeah, um, as you're doing that, I will say the cabinet for time pilot, while not the greatest in the world, is still pretty good. It's still pretty yeah, good. It looks nice. It's got it's, decent art. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, so I've got a review here from our good friend Pajaco, who writes: uh, If you travel back in time, do not interfere, or change anything. Was clearly the memo that time pilot never got, because they are happy to blow the heck out of anything. While rescuing lost time pilots. Was your ancestor one of those biplanes? Who cares? Blam! See you in hell, Grandpa! Time pilot is a fun, score-racking 80s shooter. It's a tough game to get through. As soon as you'll, as your enemies and homing missiles on you, like, stink on poop. I found the easiest way to play was to pretty much travel straight up 
whilst weaving left and right and occasionally looping back around to take out any pursuers. That's the way I drive home from work, by the way. But this <laughs> game allows for a few different strategies, which is great. I find the control scheme a little tricky and would have preferred a steer right or left method as in Space Pilot on the BBC Micro. Time Pilot, like its arcade peers, offers very little once you've looped the game, but it is a classic and worth a quick play every once in a while. Just be prepared to get out the square jar. That's a fact, brother. That's absolutely a fact. I think that's the only one we got for that. So good stuff, Pajaco. Brent, that's Time Pilot, a game that sprung from the basis of getting your driver's license for your car. There you go. Yes. Now, let's move to Brent's choice. Now, when Brent sent me this, I recoiled in horror because <laughs> I am all too familiar with this particular offering. Brent, tell the people what mistake you've made this week. Technically, I suppose, we are looking at Bandersnatch. But since Bandersnatch never actually released, we will be taking a look at what did release, was, which is Bracatus? Is that how you pronounce that, Aaron? Braticus. All right, fair Bradicus. enough. Braticus. Braticus. No, it's, like Star- it's like Spartacus, but with Brat. All right, I can believe Let's that. take our crappy name and give it an impronounceable name. Brilliant. <laughs> So, to to take a look at this week's game, we have to go back, way back, to Imagine Software. And Imagine Software was coming up in, in the early 80s when producing a computer game, especially in the UK, was the thing to do. Uh, bedroom software creators were just coming out of the woodworks selling their stuff in magazines and making tons of cash for it, which is all well and good. And then retailers were like, you know what? I We see a lot of money in this. So we're going to start stocking these, these cassettes on our shelves and see if we can get a little action. And that really triggered the industry into high gear. And Imagine Software saw what was happening and said, we are going to be, we're going to make a lot of money. And they had produced a game in 1982 called Arcadia, which is a shooter uh, for the ZX Spectrum. And it sold really, really well out of the mags. So they took some of that fortune, opened up a studio, started hiring some staff, and going to town. They had put out a few other games, uh, Wacky Waiters, Frantic, uh, Jumping Jack, Zip Zap, but it was time to make that big push because <clears throat> they were losing money. Even though they had a few decent games during this time, they never recaptured that Arcadian money, and they wanted it, and they wanted it bad. One of the reasons why they were so in such financial uh, uh, ruin and really it was ruined, was because they had this brilliant scheme. They said, you know what we're going to do? People have, the, of course, the, the Christmas time is the time when you're selling all these cassettes. So during Christmas time, we are going to take the tape duplicators, which was necessary to get your tapes made back in the day, and we're going to jam up the biggest one there is. And we're going we're gonna to ask for so many tapes, no one else can get their tapes made. That way we'll rule the day. And that's what they that's what they did. And it it Crooked. sort of worked. 
right? Crooked. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it wasn't crooked. That's crooked. Yet. <laughs> so the the it kind of worked because they 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 cut a lot of their competition out that way. However, it left them with tons of unsold software and a tab they couldn't pay for on the tape duplication. It was like 60,000 pounds in 1982. Uh, so they were like, okay, we have got to make the world's greatest game right now. We've got to get someone to pay for us, pay us to do this. And they decided they were going to make the Mega Games Collection. And the first of these Mega Games were going to be Cyclops and Bandersnatch. So Cyclops never got out of the paper stage. So we're not, we're not going to worry about them at all. Bandersnatch had some work done, had some programming done. And they were going to make it for the ZX Spectrum. It was going to be the most revolutionary game of all time. We've all heard that before in video games, right? Yes. Uh, it, it's not new to the 90s, and it's not new to today. It's been happening forever. So they said, listen, we can make this ZX Spectrum do so much more if we had some more memory. So we're going to go the extra mile. We're going to have this hardware pack-in with our game Bandersnatch. And it's going to up the RAM and some and do some other things. Really, in in all actuality, it was a RAM upgrade. The old dongle, right? Yeah, plug it into the back of your machine, <clears throat> and we're going to be able to make games that are better than anything ever created. And they said, now all we have to do is sell this concept to someone, and we're good to go. So they started going around and say, listen, this good. This is the way. This is it. We have created the future. And they, they were like, okay, can we see what you've got? And like, oh, a, a few weeks out, we're going to show you the game. We're going to show you the game. We need some money right now, though. And they were like, no, no. So some time passed, and they they came back to these these publishers. And it was like, listen, the game's going on great. Give us some money. we got to keep the doors open. We're right on the cusp of this thing. We're going to be releasing... In, in just a few weeks, we just need some money to get this stuff in production. And the 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 uh, publishers were like, okay, we know you're going to add in some hardware with this. How much do you think it's going to cost us to put the game on the shelf? And they said, we are going to retail this for 40 pounds. The game is going to be retail for 40 pounds. And the publishers lost their mind. A game at this time... The top or top end, the cream of the crop was selling for seven pounds twenty pence. So this was a tremendous price increase, right? Think how much the spectrum cost at this time. And this is basically almost buying another spectrum. And the publishers were <laughs> just point. like, the publishers were just like, no, we're not going to do it. It doesn't matter how awesome this game is; it's never going to happen. We're not going to give you the money. And the programming side of image software at this point, they saw the writing on the wall. They were not showing up for work. They were not coding. They knew it was only a matter of time before they got shut down. Now, it wasn't everyone, but it was a lot of people. And uh, they went out to lunch, 
they had a, a, a company wide, went to the pub, knocked off a little bit early. And when they came back to the office, the office had been raided by the, by the tax collectors wanting their money. Yes. And they, and they took the office over and they wouldn't let the people back in to even get their stuff. And this was filmed by the way. If you yes. Yeah. We're going to get into that. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, if you behind the scenes, they actually had a few people go in, right? They broke into the office while these people were there taking inventory to liquidate everything to get their money. Stole the computer that had Bandersnatch code on it. And they 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 fled. They ran out. They got caught actually taking the computer out, ran into a bathroom put the computer on the seat, and then stood on the computer so if you looked under, you wouldn't see their feet. And uh, eluded the guys and made it out of the building with the Bandersnatch computer. I love that. That's, that's my kind of outfit right there. So, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Imagine Software folded. Uh, yeah. They were done. <laughs> yeah, They had no money. They were tremendously in debt. It was gone. But uh, and half the people went to work for Ocean because Ocean was the big name at the time. And half those people eventually uh, came and made Psygnosis. And then Psygnosis, their, what, their first game, Aaron, <coughs> was this Bradicus. And they uh, used some of the code, not the code necessarily, because at this point, the ZX Spectrum was, was gone. It was a memory. Uh, this was in 85 at this point. But they used the design documents to release Bradicus for the Amiga, the Atari ST, and the Macintosh. I will say this, the brand, not to interrupt you, but just as a, a foreshadowing, uh, they should have put flushed that computer down the toilet as opposed to standing <laughs> on it. Carry on. <laughs> so, the, all of this is super well documented because at the time, uh, all this falling apart happened. Uh, the BBC was doing a documentary on bedroom uh, programmers that had become, you know, rich overnight from all these software sales, and they were looking at both image software and Ocean at the same time, and when you dig a little bit deeper into image software, they didn't keep books. They didn't have any leisure of all their business expenses. They didn't do any accounting whatsoever at all. They were paying people in cash under the table type of affair. This is why you can have bedroom programmers, but you shouldn't have bedroom accountants. You right could here. you should have good. You shouldn't have bedroom uh, uh, companies. That's yeah. what happened. So <clears throat> let's talk about Bradicus a little bit. Uh, I, th In my opinion, and this is not proven, I think to get some of these people to agree to make Psygnosis, they said, we have to make uh, Bandersnatch. And Bandersnatch apparently is a bit of a risque name. That's why they changed it to Bradicus. But the the concept and everything was the same. In Bradicus, you were set in a science fiction 
environment where you have been accused of a crime and you have to break into a headquarters, get the evidence that you didn't commit the crime, and then make it back out. You know, that's the whole premise of the game. And the reason why this was going to be revolutionary was the game has no HUD. When you interact with something, you interact in speech bubbles. So if you run into an NPC, right, and you want to ask him a question, a little speech bubble will pop up, and the uh, choices will just cycle through. Maybe it's say nothing, ask about the evidence, ask about uh, the, the captain, ask about an item, and then it would just repeat back through, and you would just click whenever you wanted to say whatever phrase was up. That was like the big thing. Uh, also, there was AI in the game. The intelligence would always try to come and find you. Uh, and the game is a flip screen game. It's a, a flip screen with platformers and sword fighting and robots. And, you know, it has this kind of interesting, uh, I don't want to say Blade Runner, but I wouldn't the- say interesting. To be frank, <laughs> I think you're really giving it too much credit there. It's a Spectrum game that they released on the Amiga. It looks That's... like a Spectrum game. It runs like a Spectrum game. If, no, I will say one thing. It doesn't control like a Spectrum game. Well, we're going to get into that. So, one of the big failings, and, and there are plenty to go over, was Bradicus was convinced that this newfangled thing called a mouse was going to be the wave of the future. And since every computer uh, was shipping with a mouse, even though that's not true, uh, even on the games they released on, uh, they thought that was going to be the the way of the future to, to interact with your computer. So they had integrated these mouse controls, which are the default controls, and they are just horrible. Using an Amiga mouse under the best of circumstances, still sucks a little bit. What? Sorry, it's just the way it is. The mouse? The mouse works great! Nah, I, I disagree, but that's Listen, fine. It sucks for you. It's For the rest of us, it was fine, brother. All right. You, 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 we'll got the, you were using disagree. one well after the fact. You, you probably had was all dirty and full of crud. Mouse works so, good. So, when you're trying to run a complete game with a mouse, including jumping, turning, picking up objects... And you're not clicking to do these things. You're holding buttons and then gesturing up, down, left, right with the mouse. It's an absolute disaster. And the game was just uncontrollable in that way. Yes. Uh, There is some saving grace. You can go to a help screen and define keys. And the keys you define are up, down, left, right, and jump. Yeah. It's horrible. it's it's really it's not much bad. better. No. Yeah. This is a... Well, go ahead. Uh, uh, I'm dying to get into this. Ooh. Uh, the, the game is just flawed from a gameplay perspective. Um, and then what they did pull off, what is in the game, is not very good and not very compelling. It's supposed to be all this computer AI and look how the computer can constantly hunt you down and look how uh, 
you know, there's no HUD. You're doing all this stuff with speech bubbles. That's kind of how they tried to sell the game. But when the game is as broken as it is, what you're really left with was, thank God this didn't bankrupt Psygnosis before they started. Aaron, go ahead and jump in here. I'm going to cough and try not to die for a little bit. Listen, when you, I know you struggled to choose, and you chose an excellent, this is an excellent choice for this category. It's the only times the words uh, uh, Bradicus and excellent will be used in the same sentence. This is this is the game they almost killed Psychnosis before they got started. A dog of a game. Double dog. I've played some duds in my lifetime. We've made fun of Top Banana. We've made fun of First Person Pinball, some other stuff. This may be the king dong of horrible games. It set the Amiga back at least three years because it was released early in the Amiga's life. If I'd bought an Amiga for all that money and then somebody handed me this, I would have sold the Amiga instantly. It's an absolute (laughs) unmitigated disaster. Controlling this is impossible, nightmarish, horrible. And if you do manage to get control of it, it runs like garbage. The dude moves like it. Everything in this game moves like it's in molasses. It yes. looks dumb. It's ugly. It sounds bad. It's abrasive. It is unbelievably horrible. Yeah. It is the one of the worst games on the Amiga. And one of the, I mean, if you picked, like, what's the worst game you ever played? This has got to be at the top of the list. Because even games that I hate, there are games that I hate with a furious passion. Like a Top Banana. But even Top Banana, had a, you could use the controller to move that hideous little girl up and down the woods. This is horrible. Who thought this was a good idea? How did this get out of any sort of past, any sort of standards? This is a horrible first step for Psygnosis. Now, what did this have that is a positive? Nothing, except it has an awesome uh, box. It has an awesome logo. It looks cool. It looks impressive. Uh, Psygnosis is a cool name for a company. But everything involving this game is an absolute nightmare a disaster of the highest possibilities this game it's amazing to me that this is the game that we're working on i will say getting back to uh, imagine software these dipsticks this is what happens when you get a bunch of rich idiots together not only did they not keep books not only did they not take care of their accounts they started a racing team they all went out and bought uh, luxury cars you know they did a bunch of stupid crap that idiots do when they're young and stupid, and then their company went belly up. And so, yeah, this is a fitting in to a stupid, stupid outfit. Yeah, they're sort of like Atari in the 70s. No. If, it, it, that, now, that now wait, let me, if Atari had no good games. <laughs> I mean, Atari at least still was producing the stuff to back up some of their crazy Coke-filled... Uh, they weren't all driving... Uh, uh, Testeroses and Porsches and all that <laughs> crap, you know. That's like if I got a bunch of money, it's like, hey, Britt, come get in my uh, replica Batmobile, and we're going to drive down to the wrestling show that I'm putting on. It's like, I'm an idiot. That'd be <laughs> insane. Uh, but a, a, an amazing story. Uh, now, that is still going on today in, in a little bit. Uh, a Black Mirror, a Netflix special, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, uh, was released in 2018. And this is an interactive movie, Aaron. You know we love these all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. I played this the day it came out, brother. 
What can you tell us about Bandersnatch on the old Netflix? Well, it it it, it, it is a sort of a retelling or a fictional retelling of the events. Yeah. Of uh, Imagine Software back in the day, including the programming of this game and all the creepiness that it entails. It, uh, it's got basically stand-ins for all the guys. Imagine it even has it even fit, uh, features a guest appearance by Jeff Minter, who's also out of his mind, but at least he's super talented and smart. Uh, if you know who <laughs> Jeff Minter, uh, uh, among other things, Tempest Two Thousand, uh, all the mutant, all the llama soft stuff, is it? He's in there. It was fun. It was trippy as all get out. Uh, was it the best Black uh, Mirror I saw? No, but it was certainly uh, fun to go through and pick the different things you could do, including one point where you could sort of turn evil. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I never actually completed it in a satisfactory way, but, you know, it was still, I enjoyed it. And it was neat. Since I knew the backstory, it was funny to see them uh, you know, sort of lampoon it in a way. So yeah, I yes. enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Baracus, definitely not something I would look up. Uh, even, no, no. even trying to watch this, uh, on you on like YouTube or something is an absolute disaster. You can tell the struggle is real just from the videos. Uh, and then trying to play it yourself, you get to experience how the struggle is real. So I wouldn't bother. Even if it's up, not even for a, a some kind of morbid curiosity. No, no, usually these games you can at least you know load them up and get a good chuckle. This is not one of those games. Uh, it's just endless frustration. But yeah, that is my look at at Baracus. And uh, believe it or not, you got to review Aaron, this, Brent. Huh? <laughs> believe it or not, oh, no yes. one reviewed this. Our own long suffering Pajaka writes. Get this. I had a copy of this originally, and I was wow. trying to remember why I never really played it much. So I loaded it and quickly remembered why. Oh, dear Lord, the horror. It is an unplayable mess. The intuitive mouse control fails to work. Switching to key controls made things worse. <laughs> Visually, you can tell that it's an old ZX Spectrum game, a sprites, with a dash of color thrown in. So it isn't even a Cynosis great graphics, no game title. The only redeeming feature of this game is the movie mode, so you can sit back and watch the game being played. It may not have been a stone-cold classic, but putting some good controls into this might have made it okay. I must have played this thing for about an hour before throwing in the towel. Well, he made it longer than I did. very rare Pajaco 1 out of 10. Burial, the print. Something else, Aaron, I want to mention that I, I just recalled. Uh... You know how games have, have little pack-ins, little inserts, stickers, little little extras? Yeah. Uh, that One thing that they wanted to do with Bandersnatch was include 30 things in the box. 30. 3-0. And they wonder why. Like what? <laughs> oh, they were going to have stickers. They were going to have posters. They were going to have all this extra crap. Uh and then they wonder why no publisher wanted to touch this with a 10-foot clown pole. Yeah. I will say, just for fun, I also looked this up with Lemon, because I was like, what would the, the people at Lemon think? Believe it or not, this game has got a, a score on Lemon of 3.92. Stunningly high. Yeah, that's three too high. For this game. <laughs> I'm baffled that they managed to get it this high. Uh, someone mentioned, you know, I wonder, it's funny because we're getting ready to switch over to this. This game originally... When when they were long in the tooth, they had 
talked about giving this a Sinclair QL release, the brand, before it finally ultimately landed on the Amiga. I don't think there was any machine out there that you could release this on and expect good things to happen. No. Fundamentally broken. Fundamentally broken. I will say this, Brent. There's one thing I always know, that when we go there, the good things could happen. And it's the wheel, brother. The wheel. Let's get it on, man. Now, we've got the wheel here. I want to unveil this week's Retro Rewind piece. And this one, sponsored, as always, by our good friend Frank over at Retro Rewind. The piece this week bam. It's uh, late 80s arcade. Late 80s arcade. Now, before we spin the wheel, let's talk a little bit about our good friends over at Retro Rewind. You know, you may not have heard this, but the holidays are near, you know? No way. Yeah. And Frank sent out a message this week that he will be uh, doing, he is going to be donating some proceeds to a local food bank in Toronto. I believe it's called the Daily Bread Food Bank. And so all of his sponsors are, are sort of competing uh, for a uh, gift for the listeners. Uh, if you will now use the code for this month, uh, T-I-S-A-R-G, T-I-S-A-R-G, if you'll use this code, not only will you save 10% the brand, but uh, everyone... Uh, at the end of the month, all these uh, codes will be tallied, and whichever show has the most uh, codes used will be given two uh, gift cards, gift certificates to be given away to the listeners. Oh, then, Aaron. So this is double That's... trouble, my friend. Go and get your Christmas shopping done with your good buddy Frank over at RetroRewind.ca using the promo code TIZARG, and you may come back and get a little extra wide on the side, the bread. It's a win-win situation. Now, Aaron, I know uh, that we are we are not shoe-ins for this. In fact, I would say we are the dead last horse in this race. That's that's positivity, Brad. Bandersnatch has beat you into a into a into a pulp over there. I, I want to encourage. I want to encourage all of our listeners, all of our watchers, go to re- re- retrorewind.ca. Take a look. What's there? Right. If everything else, you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not a big Commodore guy. I'm not a big Amiga guy, right? You should still go take a look at their extra merch. They have some of the best shirts. I'm hoping mine's on its way. We'll have to see. I love their Retro Rewind shirt, Aaron. It's absolutely, positively remarkable. Listen. And it fits on so many levels. They've got, what's, it only really fits on your upper level, to be honest <laughs> with you. But, uh, you know, listen. If you know, if you listen to these shows, you know that we support Richard Rewind, home of the Commodore support. Do you need uh, Kickstart ROMs? He's got them. Do you need recap kits? He's got them. Do you need Kung Fu Flash? He's got them. Do you need to have service done on your various Commodore machines? He'll do them. And this isn't some dipstick that just rolled out of the woods. This guy's a seasoned veteran of repair with decades of experience at the highest level. He's been up at the very tippity top of the mountain, brother, and he'll take care of you old school. That's Frank at RetroRewind.ca. The promo code TIZARG, Brent. Come on, fans. Get, let us win this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anyway it goes, the food bank wins, and that's the important part. Absolutely. Now, But also Brent, I want to win. Oh, listen to you. Now, Brent, this week we have added, of course, the Retro Rewind piece, late 80s arcade. We also added uh, this week 
And this is a this is a uh, uh, from our good buddy John Boat of Car Schaller. This is games that make you the baby, baby games. All right, baby games. So that's a fun topic, baby games. The Brit, are you ready for this week's spin? No. Well, we're doing it anyway. Huh? And you and I on the front of that wheel are a little tilty. Uh oh, Brent. <laughs> It's time for a fight. Tell the people what that means, the Brent. Well, you're gonna have to spin again so so we know what we're fighting about. Okay, well we'll do it. Here we go. If you spin fight again, we double fight. What's that mean? I don't know. Uh, and it looks like it is game.com. The system game.com. So what does that mean, Brent? Okay. We are gonna pick two games. Game.com games. You're gonna pick one. I'm gonna pick one. Yeah. And we are gonna because it's it's we they, we didn't get a system. We got well. I mean, oh, shut up and listen. <laughs> we are gonna pick two Game.com games and talk about why ours is the superior game on the system. I like it. I like it. And Britt, uh, I know you get around the block video game wise. What's your experience with the Game.com, brother? I'm having a lot of trouble saying it. That's that's pretty much my experience at this point. I should mention that Game.com was suggested by our, our good pal, the Rooshy, the Rooster. Oh, at least now of, we, at least now we know who to blame. Coming straight out of Germany, by the way, the Roosh. It's a good guy. So that'll be in two weeks, Brent. We'll be doing Game.com. We got plenty of time to uh, get into it now. So let's get to the final tally here, the Brent. You know. The Brent here, he's pretending to be ill, right? Because there's, aside from the fact that he picked a game that will physically make you sick, he knows what's coming. It's bigger than both of us, the Brent. Bam. It is straight up the Thanks for Giving Marathon. Thanks for Giving, Brent. Are you excited about this one? Less now than I was. <laughs> but what, I, what the, I, That's a horrible plug. <laughs> you're killing me here. Do better. Try again. All right, all right. Yes, I'm super excited. We are going to be playing games, Aaron, for eight consecutive hours from 10 a.m. to whatever eight hours after ah, that the, is. Well, we've actually it's we've changed the rules a little bit this week. Oh, that's right, seven hours. We're going to be actually hosting the Amigos, but are you excited about that? <laughs> oh God, the pain! And wait till you hear what we're playing. Let's put it this way. It's Edutainment Week on the Amigos. <laughs> so we're going to be playing an Edutainment title. I don't even remember the name of the game, but I'll get back to you. It's going to be awesome. Edutainment, your favorite. Listen, you're the one that came up with that term. So you should enjoy it. <laughs> HSI suggests Bandersnatch 2, the math. That could be the title. <laughs> That's great stuff right there. So we will start at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to run this sucker right up to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's when we shift over boop, into Amigos mode for the Edutainment Week. So it's going to be double trouble, Brent. It's going to be a lot of fun doing this. I have been out in the arcade feverishly working on the set. To I've also been perfect. feverish. <laughs> Brent has been sitting on his rump in a dumb robe. That's what he's doing. It's his contribution. Are you really not excited about this? Come on. No, I am. I, I know it's going to be a good time. Uh, I, I'm hoping to uh, be in better health by then. 
and and we are going to go and really this is to give back to the people who has given given us uh, as Amigos Retro Gaming and to the charities that we do support. So much love has has come our way, Aaron. It's it's the god honest truth to think that uh, three schmucks from West Virginia could globally touch the world in, 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 in I don't the, like the sound of that <laughs> in the small it? way that we Listen, do uh your grammy speech is horrible it, <laughs> it's something it's something we honestly appreciate Listen. so it, it's our way of saying thanks to everybody <laughs> you are, you're a piece of work my friend i will say this for those that are worried you're looking at Brady's all laid up he sounds like double death Let's say, for example, the Brick can't make the show. He's so sick. But don't worry, because that's when I turn it on. It'll be Amigo Aaron's eight-hour singing marathon. Nothing but the K-Tel hits of the 80s and 70s. All your disco favorites. I'll be there no, singing. No. It'll be beautiful. That's not going to happen. I will be there even if I have to crawl my corpse over there and set it up in a chair a la Weekend at Bernie's. It's going to happen. To be fair, that's most of the shows, the way I feel. Because you're, you're corpse-like most of the time. Wrap it up, Aaron. You're you're being bad to the people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is this Friday, Brent, the 26th of November, 10 a.m. Please join us, won't you? And thanks for checking us out this week. Uh, please check out our sponsor, Frank, over at RetroRewind.ca with the promo code TIZARG. Buy some goodies for Christmas. It'll be a beauty. We want to win. Now, until Friday, don't play Bandersnatch. Get that out. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Special thank you to Duncan Styles for our Vector Style Graphics and Bartfit for our amazing music. Would you like to help keep ARG spinning? You can do so at patreon.com slash ARG present. Just like these fine folks. Rollo, Olaf Hope, Paul, Terry Howard. Gary Heather, John Schaller, The Slow Norris, Frodo and L, Chris Fold, Mitsuyama, Jason Warns, Rob, Black O'Hara, Andy Craig, Andy Jones, Kevin Bean, Pachaco6502, Anthony Jarvis, Steve Rathmason, Bernhard Lucas, Dave Velociraptor, Graham W. Vetke, Roshi, Mr. B, David Terrence, Super Tech Boy, Aram, Sundown, Texas Foosballer, Airshack, Retroalgy, John Dykeman, Jerry Dennington, Z9K9, and Mario Ramey. They all have access to our Discord channel and their names put and called out in the credits. Why don't you? If you have an idea for a wheel piece, you can email us at argpresents at mail.com. Be sure to visit our sponsor, RetroRewind.ca and use promo code ARG10 to get 10% off your order. We film live every Sunday, 10 a.m. EDT. Hope to see you there.